0: Welcome to the second episode of Sometimes Baseball, and joining me today, I have student-athlete Pat Gallus. How are you doing, Pat?
1: I'm doing great, Well, Thanks for asking. I just got done with training. Uh, one of the few days I get off my feet, I've been keeping up with doing landscaping during the day, and then I'll train at night. So really just everyone else seems to be kind of chilling there in quarantine. I'm still moving around quite a bit. There you go. There you go. How you staying busy? I mean, shit, man. I don't really get a break. It's, you know, normally I'll wake up at like uh, 5.30 or 6, go do uh, work at landscaping until about twelve one, 1, uh, come back, you know, just kind of hang out, recover for a little bit, and then I normally train from, you know, 6 to 9, 9.30. Holy smokes.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, long days, long days what uh what are you doing with like the landscape and stuff was it just like random houses or yeah just random houses mowing lawns doing mulch and bushes stuff like that nice 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 how'd you get into that
1: uh needed work man needed something to make money over the summer so i can go back to school i'm
0: not walking around with no money in my pocket yeah no i hear that i hear that um but yeah so uh let's get into it so uh what uh, school do you go to, just for the listeners, and then, uh, I guess, the background of that and your year and major? So, uh, I go to Guilford College, which is at the Division three level.
1: It's a kind of school in North Carolina. Um, I'm actually double majoring there in oh, nice. exercise science and sport management, and, uh, you know, it's a smaller school, around 1,500, uh, a lot of student-athletes, uh, really nice campus, stuff like that uh definitely enjoy my time there
0: so far that's awesome yeah the double major life. that uh how's that working for you the first year uh, it's,
1: it's a lot man i'm not gonna lie to you try to trying to balance you know academia baseball and your social life it's it's a lot of work man
0: but it's yeah, fun uh, it's work. yeah let's uh let's talk about that so you do play for the college team there how are you navigating the school life sports balance so far so when I got there, you know, initially I
1: was like, you know, I definitely want to, you know, it's a smaller school, you know, it. you're probably going to get to know everybody, but definitely like make sure like, you know, you're definitely being social early on. And, you know, from we got there in like the middle of August and right around till September, you know, all we did was, you know, you'd go to class starting after the two weeks, and then you just kind of hang out and, you know, get to meet people and start doing activities and stuff. But uh, when baseball started picking up, uh the NCAA's got like a 16 day window where we can do stuff with coaches and we always had like captain's practices before that where we you know it would be just Gosh. senior getting work, work in but i'll tell you what those 16 days man they were they are brutal i mean you're you're up you know i had 8:30 classes every day so i'd be up you know 8:30 class go eat and then you know we would practice for like minimum four really five to six hours a day and then you're right after that you're showering if you can, and then rolling up to the next class. It's a lot, man. Holy smokes! Yeah, what was a routine? The workout routines like what they have you doing? So, um, it's different, obviously, for position players and pitchers. You know, I'm just the pitcher, so really we get up there. Um, you know, you, I normally roll up to the park around 30 minutes before. Um, you know, I get my stretching in, get all my scalp works going. Um, I'd do my driveline routine before everything. And then we'd normally kick it off with a team stretch. And then, you know, obviously we'd roll into throwing. And then normally what we would do is pitchers, we would do, like, bunt defense, uh, just fill in with the infielders and outfielders, back them up. And then a lot of it's just conditioning. Like, you know, I came from high school where I didn't really have to do any conditioning, but we're we're running crazy distances every day. So it's definitely
0: a grind. No, yeah, I think that was uh, one of the main reasons I was not uh, so great in high school was the conditioning aspect.
1: <laughs> it's, it's tough, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I was, you know, when I heard conditioning, I was like, you know, we're probably going to do, you know, a couple six-yard sprints, you know, be a piece of cake, nothing I'm not used to. But, you know, when you're doing triangles where you start at home plate and you've got to haul it to right, the right field foul pole, then the left field foul pole
0: and back – and you've got a minute to do it, I mean, you're feeling it. Yeah, no, I, that, like, that's – conditioning, they can be, like, a little bit insane sometimes, but uh, – Oh, it's brutal, man. It's brutal. Unlike the triangles, did they make you run along the warning track or could you go right from the pole to the pole?
1: Uh, Pole to pole, so you just run straight across the outfield.
0: Because yeah, that would add a lot of distance
1: there. <laughs> yeah, man, it's – believe me, it's it's
0: work. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, like, getting into, like, the team a little bit – um how uh how is like the talent level of the team how are you guys feeling uh, before the season started? I mean I'm not gonna lie to you like this
1: is you know I th- most people think you know you're playing division three you know it's gonna be pretty similar to high school, but you know i've got I'm playing with dudes far more talented than that like I'm playing with dudes who are just like extremely crazy freak athletes. And like I played in a good high school conference, you know the WCC is a no joke. You know where there's in the 2020 classes this year, especially they've got you know seven guys projected to go in the top five rounds. You oh, know. Yeah, that's crazy. So I would face my pitching, but you know high school hitting like it wasn't anything crazy. But especially as a pitcher, once you get to the college level, I mean the hitting, the hitting improves severely. Like you know that that ball like an inch off the corner, you know those those hitters aren't they're just taking that. They're spitting all over your pitches, and, you know, you have to – you really have to learn how to hit your spots in college because if you don't, you're going to be in a world of hurt.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I think that was another re- – one of the reasons I just didn't make it was – uh <laughs> granted, I really didn't put in that much effort, but at the same time, like, I couldn't hit my spots. Like, I walked everybody. Um It was either a walk or a strikeout, and I was pretty much – my pitching career
1: you know unless unless you're throwing around 90
0: you know that's that's not gonna help you out yeah yeah geez but um yeah so like and like the talent level uh I guess would severely improve just because of the uh I guess you guys just put in so much work is that it or I mean you know what so this is the biggest thing that
1: I wish I actually knew going into college you know, I came, my high school coach, phenomenal coach, you know, to this day, I think he's by far the greatest baseball human I've ever interacted with. Yeah, the college level is completely different, especially at my school, you know, there's, there's nothing really going into player development. It is, you know, it's a business. It's, you know, how are you going to help me win? So it's, Uh, what I wish to know going in is you can't be scared, especially as an incoming freshman, you know, you're thinking you got to learn stuff. You don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I mean, you you learn in those, those first 16 days with coaches, you know, you screw up once. I mean, you may not throw again for the next two weeks. So it's just, it's cutthroat. You have to, you just have to be in that mentality of I have to get my stuff done or else I don't know when I'll get a chance
0: again. Yeah. I think, uh, it really changes at that, that next level. It's like you're accountable for your success now. And I think um, that it's really like a big separator for then the next level of playing professionally. But Oh, yeah, it's crazy. You know, especially – I don't even know. Once you're at the pro level
1: and, you know, teams are investing in you, I think once you go after high school, you know, after – like, till high school, it's just the pure sport. It's just the love of the game. Once you get – to financials and all that stuff. Even at lower-level colleges, especially the pros, when teams are investing money in you and you have to keep, you know, a successful business running, you know, it's not – they're not worried about hurting your feelings. It's can you help me get wins, which lead to money. And if you can't, then it's not it. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned you're a pitcher. Uh, Was your role looking to be uh, in the starting uh, role, or were you going to be more relief? So –
1: this year I was more of a reliever. Um, you know, going the next year, we lost two of our three stars, our ace and our two guy both graduated during this year. So I mean, it's really gonna be a free for all. I've seen our, you know, our incoming class for next year. We only have two pitchers. We had a we had a huge incoming class for my grade was seventeen, which was the biggest ever for us. So you know, really, it, I think it's just going to be a dogfight. You know, I'm going to work as hard as I can to maybe get a starting role, but you know, it'll probably be a mix of you know maybe a few spots here and there, and then you know the rest you're coming out the pen. But especially as an underclassman, I you know, you got to work your you got to work your time in the bullpen, and then hopefully by the time
0: you're junior season, you can start rolling out there for starts and getting it done. Yeah, that's crazy. so. You said there's 17 just in your class. How many people are on the team? Like, how does that work? So we we had forty five guys in the roster, which was actually our largest roster ever.
1: Before before this year, the largest ever was thirty five, and especially it's crazy because it gets ultra competitive on the roads. You know, sometimes they only bring twenty guys, so that leaves you know fifteen guys just sitting at home. So it's it's a dog fight, man. Like you have to fight for your spot.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely saw that. I worked. Uh with the uh, football team uh, here at my college. And, um, yeah, the road trips, there'd be guys just – they're not making it just because they're practice squad guys, you know. They're not making those nice trips um, just to get off campus a little bit. Um, but, yeah, that's no, a crazy set roster size. Um, I never even knew, like, they would get that big. Yeah, most, co- most colleges,
1: I mean, they're bringing in a lot of guys because, you know, especially at the Division three level, most most of these rosters you'll see – you know, especially when we're going away at other people's parks, you know, they're going to have 40. There's there's a team in our con- conference, Lynchburg University, who's got 70 guys on the roster. Holy and some schools, some schools just look at the coaches and they're like, you know, if you're going to be our baseball coach, you need to bring in X many baseball players because we need it financially for the school. So, I mean, you know, your D1s may not have to worry about that. But even the big D1s, you know, they're averaging like 40 guys per roster because – they need the practice squad guys, you know, during the week when you're running inner squads, you know, you can't throw your game pitchers out there because they got a pitcher in a week. So you're going to need guys to 30 or hitters live. So you'll have, a, you'll have a lot of pitchers just, you know, may not ever get in the game in their first two years, honestly, but you know, you just have to embrace the role
0: of it and you just got to eat it. And maybe one day you'll get your chance. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, that's crazy. The, uh, you touched on like the, growing live batting practice uh Carrie and I were talking about this uh on Monday on the earlier podcast and he was talking about how you can some guys just hate practicing hitting off like the T like batting practice because it's like working on mechanics is fundamentally different than like working on like actual game speed um any thoughts on that or
1: oh it's yeah 100% agree I mean it goes it goes for pitchers and hitters like you know, any anyone can go out and throw a bullpen and look phenomenal because there's no pressure on you. Yeah, anyone yeah. can take BP and they could put ten balls out of the yard in their first three rounds and they'll look like champion. But once you know, once you step in the box or once you're on the mound and you're going a live competition, that adrenaline kicks in, and you know you know in the back of your mind, like I need to win this. So it's it's totally different. I I love the fact we never really inter-squad in high school so once we got here I love the fact because it allows other guys to show what they're working with as well
0: yeah no I think um hands down I preferred playing inter-squad games over just practice just because that's like real game situations to really flush out like people's talents so was that like your main practices was just inter-squad games or, or were there like times like in like the Fall and winter, where you guys are just doing um, like, I'd say it's
1: split fifty fifty. You know, half the days you'd be working on because you need both. Like those days where you're just there on your bullpens or getting work in BP. You know, that's where you're supposed to work on. You know, what can I tweak here and there? Because once you start, even in just in the inner squad, like all that goes out the window. It's just I need to go compete instead
0: of worry about you know what am I working on in my skills. Mm-hmm. So would you guys have like how was like technology used did you guys have like video you guys were looking at to, for like the hitters and pitchers or was it what was that like so yeah we um we used the rep
1: soto app quite a bit lot that. figure out what our movement patterns are you know pitchers have spin rates and we'll obviously do velocity and stuff like that but um compared to most programs i'd say we're more more less on the technological side i wish we personally i wish we had more i think that stuff is doing wonders for the games today you you look at the teams who are ultra competitive or even just elite college programs you know they're learning they're using this technology to learn how their athletes work and the more the more information you have the more likely you're going to succeed so if you have a extreme sonny gray for instance i was watching an interview with him the other day he has he's in the top one percent of spin rate in the major leagues when he went to the yankees you know, their philosophy is fastball up, breaking ball, away. His fastball, yes, his spin rate is absurd, but his fastball naturally drops. So, you know, when he was with Oakland, he was crazy effective for them because he would just spot his fastball low and away. And if a hitter's was going to make contact, they're just going to pound into the ground. But, you know, when he went to New York, he struggled so much because his fastball would just, it would start up and then it would drop kind of right to the belt area and it would just get crushed up, crushed out of the park. So, I mean, the more knowledge you know about yourself as an athlete, I mean, it's gonna do wonders for you.
0: Yeah, like Sonny Gray, I remember that whole story. Like he, he was like, like he ditched like his slider or something. and Like his stats just went horrible. And then um, yeah, so he was in New York for two years. His ERA first year was three point seven two, and then it bumped all the way up to four point nine. And then last year with Cincinnati, I think he added that pitch back. He threw 175 innings with a 2.870 already. Right, he finished seventh in the Cy Young Award voting, And he, he was an all-star. He was an all-star. And, like, it, I think it's like guys really know, like, what they're doing. And, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like, the technology definitely helped him there. And, like, he got back to, like, what he knew. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, look at him. Cincinnati, and prop, huge props to Cincinnati. I think they have one of the best player development programs for the majors, especially with technology and just with, on the pitching side of just learning what their pitchers are and getting the most out of it. You know, obviously Cincinnati's in the bottom half of the NL Central, but their pitching staff was flawless. I mean, Luis Castillo, Trevor Bowers, Sonny Gray. I mean, and plus with the offseason acquisitions they made this season, you know, hopefully we get baseball back. I'd love to see what that team can do.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, seriously. I thought they were gonna they were gonna make a little bit of noise. I think they were still a pitcher away, one arm away. Um, but I like what they're doing. I'm excited for them. But yeah, baseball's gone. So you're a college athlete. Let's uh can we hear like the timeline of events that happened with the whole NCAA shutdown? So that that
1: whole week was pure madness. I mean we, that was the week of our of our spring break. We had six games lined up that week in the seven days period. We had one off day. So we were going on the road the next day. We literally just finished up the game, and our coach holds us all up, and he's like, look, boys, we may not be playing tomorrow. I'll let you know as soon as I can. But, you know, for right now, just prepare for the worst and know that tomorrow may be our last game. So – we heard nothing about it. We went on the road. In the middle of the game, in the middle of the game, we got the alert from our AD that all spring sports were shut down and that um we had – they literally told us by the next day we had to be off campus. And that, you know, me being from Maryland, not having a car down there, like, I, I got lucky. One of my teammates is from Delaware. So I literally had to ride back with him. I mean, it was – it was within, the like, you could blink and everything just completely changed. We were thinking, you know, we're getting ready to got, we got three more games this week, and then it's all over just like that.
0: Jeez, almighty. That's crazy. So, the middle of the game, like, what <laughs> did you guys stop the game? Did you keep playing? Like, we kept playing. Uh,
1: that that post game was rough. I mean, especially for the seniors, like, they all, for the most part, they all just emotionally broke down because, like, you know, you work, you work your ass off for three years just to get to this point. And then, you know, our season, I mean, we're 12 games through of our 40 game schedule. Like we're thinking we got 28 more games left. And then just to be told that it's
0: over just like that. I mean, it was, it was hard, man. It was hard. Yeah, no, I, my first thought was like all oh, like those seniors, they're like they're losing like that last year. <laughs> I felt bad for them, you know? And then, um. like they're giving like the extra year of eligibility back so how is that working for uh, your level is that available or no so yeah it's it's available
1: for all levels and you know i've seen a couple programs where guys are coming back but we actually none of them are going to come back for us it's just what people as much as you know you got an extra year of eligibility you can just roll up a play i mean that's not easy for some people you know that means you got to go through the grind of the fall again you'd have to take classes and pay for school again. I mean, some people just don't have the money for that. So, you know, at the end of the day, like you have to look at yourself, as much as baseball means the world to some people, like, you know, can I actually afford to do this? And most people are looking to just, you know, either if they're fortunate enough to play at the next level and get to keep going, or they just have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, I need to move on in my life.
0: Yeah, no, like there's so many factors that go into it a hundred percent. But yeah, no, that's a crazy story. <laughs> just like having like the middle of the game and it's like you gotta be out tomorrow. Like that's our,
1: our assistant coach, we're in the fourth inning and he just looks at us and he's like, Boys, it's over. And we're like literally, like everyone just stopped talking. And it was it was literally like a minute, no one said a word. And then we get back and you know, I'm thinking all right, you know, spring sports are shut down, but they haven't said anything about closing school yet. And then I get a text from my coach, and I'm like, "I need you off campus by tomorrow." And I'm like, "I mean, I don't really know how I'm gonna get home." And he was like, "You gotta find a way, but I, you cannot be on campus anymore." So it was it was crazy, crazy set of events, man.
0: Jeez, holy smokes! Yeah, like, yeah, like, what if like people live like across the country, like, <laughs> for like California or whatnot? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I I couldn't imagine being like an athlete, you invest however many months, was it like eight months before like the start of the season and then it's over like that? Yeah, I mean it was it's a six months and it, as much as you
1: know there's an off season, like you, we are working five five to six days a week even even when fall ball ends. Like through the winter, all the lifts, all the conditionings and you're just like, you know, twelve games in, really, this is it? It was you know it was it was definitely hard for a lot of guys, yeah, so
0: um I guess moving on um i I asked uh do you had any thoughts on the game um I'd be interested to hear like your perspective just as like an athlete like what the game's doing right what's what they're doing wrong, like what can they do in like the future um or just anything on that.
1: So we're, in a, we're we're in a very interesting spot I think professionally with baseball. I think the whole let the kids play movement is phenomenal. I wish that you know Trevor Bauer is one of the few guys who's getting his name out there in baseball. But I mean, you look at other sports and like you could ask anyone in the country they know who LeBron is. They know they know who Tom Brady is. You know, if I if I walked a couple doors down and asked some random person who Mike Trout is, they may not know it. So as far as play, but it's hard. It's hard too because you have to look at it from the player standpoint. Like, you know, you're playing a 162 game a season. You know, then as soon as you're done, you got to talk to the media and do all that. The few off days these guys get, you know, they're they may not be looking necessarily to do player content. They they get few opportunities, especially guys with families. So I'm I'm interested to see what they do with this quarantine period. I hope we get baseball back, but as much as guys maybe getting paid less, which nobody wants professionally, it's all about the players making money somehow. You know, I'd actually like to see, you know, maybe like an 120 game season. I think we started, if we did an 82 game season, I mean, that would be, that would make the regular season like if your team's out of it in May, you know, you're not going to be paying attention all the way through September. So you have an 82 game season you're going to have a lot more competitive teams. 120 is even going to get you a lot more competitive teams. And then, you know, other than that, I, I love where the game is going. I think it's getting a lot more advanced. Um, I know there's a new – there's at least a thought of adding another team in the playoff, which I would completely disagree with. I love the formats rocking with now. I think the two wild card teams is awesome. And then, you know, maybe that team gets hot and goes all the way to the World Series. But, you oh, know, wow. Especially, especially with the Mets, but I mean, you know, if you get if you get another team in there, what they're saying is the number one seed would get a bye, but baseball is an, isn't like other sports where a bye is beneficial. Like, players are so mentally set on, especially pitchers, like they're ready to go on that fifth day. You give them a 10-day layoff, you know, they're going to be way out of whack, and that's almost like a disadvantage to the number one seed. So, you know, I, I'd like to see – keep the playoff structure where it is. I'd be interested in a short and regular season. Uh, if we could get any more player marketability, especially with a short season, I think we'd see a lot more of it because people would have a lot more free time. But, you know, as far as as far as far the current product we
0: have today, a couple changes here and there, but I like where we're going with. Yeah, so you made a lot of great points there. Um, yeah, the first one, like – they are literally working 162 days out of 183. That's, that's like, hard to do. Um, and then, like, even, like, with, like, an 82-game season that, like, they're trying to implement with, like, like the seven teams in each league potentially, uh, I don't even know if, like, the Nats would have made the playoffs in that format because they were 41-41 at the 82-game mark last year. And so, like, with that in mind, like, you're looking at a completely different playoff um, result. Um, so, but I, I would I'm, I'm for whatever it takes to get the ball ball players on the field. so
1: hell, yeah, man. I think I think at this point everyone's just looking for like get back to normal, and you know, when you think of summer you're you're ready for baseball. man you know baseball is time to shine, and especially like you know when you're sitting in July, the middle of summer, you know stuff just the days seem to be getting longer. But especially for me, like, I love sitting down and watching the Home Run Derby. I love watching the All-Star game, Futures game, everything they're doing in that week. You know, that's that's a highlight of my summer for me. So everyone – I think most baseball fans are looking forward to get it rolling.
0: Yeah, no, and, like, you also touched on, like, the routine aspect of it. So, like, how, like, the, the first seed we get a bye, that's, like, a really, like, a disadvantage. Um, and so, yeah, like, it, I think I remember Trevor Bauer talking about this or something, how he – was speaking out against, like, what Manfred was saying. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it, like, it, it really is an interesting aspect of the game that I really don't think they should touch too much on. The wild card game is beautiful. Um, I was actually able to go to, like, the Nats-Milwaukee uh, game last year, and that was the best moment of the last year for me, like, by far. <laughs> it's better than them winning the World Series in Game 7. Like, that was – off of the three-run days. Like, those are, like, the moments you want to happen with, like, a one-game playoff.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, we're if we're rocking a, a three-game series right there, even for the wild card, like, that last inning, you know, that last inning may never happen in the Nats. Like, you know, they get – Ryan Zerman gets on with, like, a broken bat single, you know, and then everything keeps rolling and rolling and rolling, and then Milwaukee's right fielder, you know, completely misplays a routine round ball for him, you know. If he knows if he knows there's a tomorrow, that may never happen. And those games often, you know, those are the ones you look back in the playoffs because they're like, the players know, like this is this is game seven. It's just, you know, we either win or there's no tomorrow. And you never know when you're gonna get that chance again. So like, you look at Milwaukee, like their window probably started, I'd say, two years ago. You don't know if they're gonna be able to get back, like especially with Milwaukee, like they're not a they're not a huge market team, so. You know, those few opportunities you get, you have to capitalize on I think The players know it. The fans know it. And I think it just brings a lot more excitement to baseball.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It really does. Um, but, yeah, so moving on now to another exciting thing. So today in baseball history, uh, this actually happened last year today. Uh, this is a pretty funny story, but Rajay Davis, uh, he at 5 p.m., he's taking – batting practice with the Syracuse Mets in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So he's getting ready just for, like, the game that night against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. So when he's taking the batting practice, he gets news that he's been called up to the major leagues for, like, the Mets. So what he does is he gets an Uber driver to take him to City Field, and that's a two-hour drive. (laughs) And he arrives there in, like, the third inning. He gets lost on his way to the clubhouse and has to ask for directions. Then he finally meets his managers and teammates in the fifth. Um, He's in uniform. And then in the bottom of the eighth, he's set up to pinch hit, and he hits a three-run homer off Sean Doolittle of the Nationals. Uh, And then Mets actually scored six runs in that inning to win the game. They came back, and I just think that's a hilarious story.
1: Um, so let's, let's just put it out how crazy this is. You know, Raj, Raj has obviously been in the league for quite some time. He's a vet. He knows what's going on with this stuff. You know, yeah. he's, he's getting ready to suit up for a regular minor league day, you know, regular routine, routine at the park. In the middle, like, walking off BP, you know, I'm getting ready to unwind a little bit, you know, get mentally ready for the game. And out of nowhere, you're like, sorry, man, Time to roll up to New York. It's time to go. You're driving for two hours in some random Uber driver's car, probably th- sitting there, like, you know, listening to his questions and stuff, and you're probably like, what the hell is happening right now? You roll up. You don't even you – you've never even been to the home clubhouse. You're in the middle of the game. Get out there in the fifth. You're thinking, all right, I can finally just sit on the bench, kind of zone out, let the game play a little bit. That time comes around, Skip tells you, hey, man, grab bat. Been a long day, but you're swinging. Rolls up there, probably exhausted and casually off one of the best relievers in baseball, says, sorry, man, three-run homers going today. We're winning this one. I mean, that's just – that's insane.
0: Uh, Yeah, it was one of my favorite stories from last year, even at the expense of the Nationals, just because, like – that that's so funny it reminded me of uh I don't know if you remember or you've heard of this story but a guy actually got hits for two different teams in one day because he played like a day game for maybe like the Cubs or something and then he got traded and then he made it to the other team by the time their game started and he got a a hit there
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy and that goes back to the business of baseball like you never know where you're going to suit up it's just go out and perform I mean I'd never heard about that but that's crazy and you rolling up to a day game with the with the boys or one game getting a casual knock and then you get the call and it's like gotta go do it again somewhere else man (laughs) yeah that's crazy that's that's
0: wild i I think that's kind of like the fun part of uh the game (laughs) uh... dude I, i love the craziness especially when we get to the trade
1: deadline that whole week you have no idea what's true what's not and you're always thinking. Um, I don't know if my team's in contention or not, but I would love to have this name on my team. Like, it's crazy. That's I that's one of my favorite points of the season because you never know what's going to happen. It changes people's seasons.
0: Oh, yeah, it was my favorite part of – it's my favorite part of the year every year, Um, just seeing, like, all, like, the deals that happened. Like, last year, like, the shocker was Zach Granke to the Astros. <laughs> I remember yeah. – like, I remember looking at that trade,
1: too, and I was like, you know, what? what are the ash, they're, they're, I'm already thinking they're one of the premier teams in the AL. They got a hell of a staff. And then they're just going to throw on Grinky to it. And I'm thinking, I mean, they've got it done. I mean, at the time, we didn't know that they already had a done, kind of. But, I mean, throwing, throwing a three-headed monster out there, you know, yeah. thank God. The Nats were able to beat them because I wouldn't have been able to stand
0: the World Series ring for them. But, I mean, crazy, man. Yeah, no, like the way it all happened and shook out, I'm crazy deal. I and mean, then it worked out on like the Nats favor. Um uh, but I guess getting into more of uh your playing career. So obviously you grew up playing baseball as you now play at the NCAA level. So do you have any like memorable, memorable moments on the diamond?
1: As far as memorable moments on the diamond, um I gotta say where my first my first one and probably if not my all-time favorite, was my second favorite. Um, Twelve years old up in Cooperstown. The whole week, man, I'm all I'm thinking from getting there is, all right, shore fences, power lefty, let's get it done. Let's, ha- let's leave with, like, a bag full of baseballs. I'm, the whole week just couldn't hit, and we're just having – it rained, it seemed, the entire week. We're having crazy schedules. We had a game at 3 a.m. due to rain. And I, And I'm just like, I mean this is this is madness we're we're in our our first playoff game, and you know, first a B, I was just like, look, man, uh, screw all the home runs. I'm just trying to make contact, line out to right, but I finally I finally after the whole week, made some decent contact with the ball, so I'm thinking, all right, maybe maybe today's the day, and then next A B finally do it backside left field and I'm running around first and I see my dad there and I'm like this is awesome I mean it can't it can't get better than that but um other than that one I'd say probably if not tied the number one um was this past year at the council um obviously pitching against your distinguished alumnus school Gonzaga not not a big fan of mine to begin with and unfortunately didn't get in there academically so I already, already had a little bit of motivation going up against them. And that going to that game, I'm just, for some reason, like I'm just feeling weird. My bullpen was terrible. And I'm like, this is going to be just a bad start day. And the first inning, get through. Second inning, get through. And we keep rolling until the seventh inning. And I only, I've only given up one hit. And I, I had no idea what was happening. And then sure as hell enough, when the thought gets to my head, I end up loading the bases off of three bloop singles, two of them over my shortstop and one of them over my second baseman. Uh, we're in the last inning, and we're, all, we're up free, but bases loaded. And my coach my coach gets someone warming up, and he looks at me, and he kind of gives me a thumbs-up, thumbs-down. And I'm like, oh, we're, we're finishing this one. So I strike the first kid out. And then the next kid hits a ball literally 100 miles an hour at my first baseman. Right in his chest, catches, yeah. step on first base, game over. If I, I even got the ball. I've literally got the ball, kind of in a little case in my room.
0: That's all. Best awesome.
1: pitching performance I've ever had, and that was just was a really special day for me. Both my parents
0: were there, and it was just, it was awesome. Yeah, no, I. That's an awesome story. Just being able to like be like, I'm I'm a dog right here. I'm finishing this out. I don't care who's doing what. It's like, <laughs> it was it was a hell of a ride, man. That senior
1: year was fun.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, no. I've heard like those stories before, where, <laughs> where it's like nothing is working, nothing feels good, and then you just like, all right, let's just see what we got. Just start throwing strikes, and then it's like, oh, this guy, if everything gets hit right at somebody. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, we only had 4Ks on the day, but we made it through. That's all that matters. Yeah, man. That's how Greg Maddox got so far. (laughs) God, I I would.
1: Watching Greg Maddox pitch, my dad's a huge fan of him. I'll even, like, every week, I'll literally look at video of him and just be like, he's throwing 88 to 90 miles an hour. Like, what's so special about this guy? And then you just the catcher doesn't move his glove ever. And speaking of Greg Maddox, I've actually, I've heard a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but he used to go in his bullpens with the bullpen catcher and they would have the catcher blindfolded and they would just have him stick his glove out and they would have two guys on each side and just say, close when the ball's coming. And he would just dot it up consistently. Catcher would catch it almost every time. Just someone would tell him when to squeeze wouldn't move and just write in the glove. I mean, that's, that is precision.
0: That's insane. <laughs>
1: That's
0: crazy. I, I read this one article about uh Greg Maddox. I, I should probably forward it to you. Um, it was in the Athletic. I don't know if you subscribe to that. Um, but yeah, he did like the top one hundred baseball players of all time, and Greg Maddox obviously in there. And um, yeah, he was just the author. He was just giving like his own personal take. He's like, like yeah, like I know like. Like, the Randy Johnsons of the world, the Curt Schillings, the Roger Clemens, the Max Scherzers, it's like, yeah, those guys are fun to watch, but there's only one ever, one pitcher ever that, like, I circled my calendar for his starts, and that was Greg Maddox, just because it was, like, an art to watch him pitch.
1: <laughs> and that's that's crazy how much the game has changed. I mean, you look back at his day, like, you know, guys were probably, you know, 90, 93, and your elite guys would be 95, 97. But that's pitching, you know, whereas today you got guys like Jordan Hicks out of the bullpen throwing 105-mile-an-hour sinkers. But, you know, I I almost missed that era because that's pitching. It's not – you know, now people are so concerned with, you know, lighting up the radar gun and just letting it eat. But, you know, you can look at Kyle Hendricks, for example. I mean, he's 87 to 90, but he's just dotting up and he's one of the better pitchers in the game.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where – a flaw kind of lies in the game right now in terms of like recruiting. It's like, you only really get noticed if either A, you throw a hundred miles an hour or B, you have like a zero ERA because even with like a slow pitch, um, like a slower than fast pitch. But like, those are really only two ways to get noticed. And it's like, some of those guys that are just dotting it up, like they're, they're doing great. Like <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, people people are looking for tools now. It's it's
1: all about, you know, can this tool – is it elite and can it help me win games? Whereas, you know, like, look at Kyle Hendricks. I mean, late round draft pick, you know, probably wasn't thought of much, you know, just a pitcher in a farm system. But you look at those guys, and those guys tend to be the best pitchers in the game because they're flawless. I mean, you know, no one is – no one's going to touch a fastball right under their hands even at 87 miles an hour if you yeah. throw a nasty
0: slider right on the black, I mean, that's not getting touched. touch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I agree 100%. It's, it's a completely different way to pitch, but it might be the best way to pitch. But um, so now it seems like you're really interested in the sport. Would you say now is like your peak interest in the sport or was that earlier? So I would, I would say
1: it's, it's pretty much remained the same. And, you know, as I get older, I appreciate it more and more because I understand okay. the logistics of the game and what's going on with the players. But, I mean, I just – I love the sport, man. I love the professional product. You know, big O's fan, even though they're absolutely terrible. But, like, you know, just – I don't – like, now I'm at the point where I don't have to watch my team. Like, I just enjoy watching elite athletes play the best game in the world.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, Like, it's – I've definitely grown every year, and just because of, like, being more exposed to, like, other players and other teams, um, just being able to watch, like, guys like Mike Trout, Francisco Lindor, uh, Chris Bryant, um, Mookie Betts. Like, those, those guys are fun to watch. And, my, my, yeah, my interest, I would agree with you, it's, it grows every year. <laughs> um, Definitely. But so who got you into the sport? So um,
1: as far as getting me into the sport, you know, my my dad was a huge player in that. Uh, he's coached me ever since I first started, so he he was always taking me my first games and just you know even today I'll still always work with him and just loving that. But as as far as a player who really got me into the game, uh, my first O's game was uh, the peak Nick Marquecus Orioles days,
0: and he's he's always going to be my guy for that. Oh uh, yeah, he was a fan favorite there for a long time. A lot of people are sad to see him go. <laughs>
1: I was mad, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the Orioles have made some some
0: questionable,
1: questionable offseason moves, but that one, that one hurt me a lot.
0: Yeah, though, him and Adam Jones just locked it down in center and right field. Uh, they were fun to elite, watch.
1: If not, if not elite, extremely good caliber defenders. Both were hitting for average. You know, Jonesy was hitting for a little more pop, but I mean. You know what you're getting with Marquez every year. I mean, you're getting 280 to 300. Like, even look now in the Braves. You know, everyone thought he was done, and I mean, last year he was his first year as an All Star. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just consistent day in and day out.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It was it's kind of, it was kind of cool to see him experience that All Star game for the first time.
1: <laughs> definitely, man. I was definitely definitely rooting for him when he was out
0: there. Yeah. So uh, now it's come time to the part where it's my my guest favorite part of the show so top five rankings do you have your players let's start with number five so number
1: five number five and it's weird as a pitcher most of my top top favorite players are hitters but at number five it's got to be Miguel Cabrera I mean big fella with arguably the highest baseball intellect in the game today I mean, I'll I'll see videos of him all the time. One of my favorite ones is when he's hitting against the Indians and Mike Clevenger's on the mound. It's one of his early starts. And he looks over at Terry and he goes, second pitch, changeup, left center field. Sure as hell, misses with a fastball up and in, first pitch. Clev throws him a changeup, second pitch. Center field at Comerica is 420 feet. Oh, yeah. He puts he puts this ball well over it. And then as he's coming to home, he looks at Terry and he goes, ah, oh, I guess I just missed. <laughs> I mean, it's stories like that. And, not. I mean, he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. You know, oh, yeah. that 2000s to 2010 era, him and Pools were just – they were the guys. I mean, surefire Hall of Famer. So, he's – He's definitely my number five. Oh, at yeah. number four, at number four, pretty much the same guy. But you know, I've got a soft spot in my heart for lefties. Joey Votto, man. I mean, the guy the guy did not pop up weekly pull side until last year. Yeah. First time it happened, and especially I remember. When, when he had his MVP year, that was when I was start first starting to pick up baseball professionally and learn what's going on. I mean, he's just – he's a machine. You know, he's gold glove defender, hitting 300 with, you know, 25 to 35 home runs. I mean, just elite, elite first baseman. Definitely a
0: favorite player of mine. Yeah, no, I I was about to say, like – the only other guy I can think of in terms of like true baseball intellect, other than Miggy, is Joey Votto. So it's funny you have him at number four. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, number three,
1: uh, Nick Markakis. I mean, we talked about it earlier. Just got me into the game. One of my favorite Orioles of all time. I mean, just phenomenal player. But uh, moving moving on to number two, not. And this is where my list starts getting a little weird. Um, Miguel Montero. So we I used to go to the Diamondbacks and Rockies spring training every year when I was a kid. And when I was younger, I was a catcher. So Miggy Miggy comes out of the game and he starts walking out of the bullpen, and I guess he's just gonna get some stretching in. And I'm sitting right there and I'm like, Miggy, Miggy, what's up? What's going on? What's going on? And he took time out of his day and he literally talked to me for like thirty minutes just about catching, like you know, how did I get into baseball and all that stuff? And just, you know, I will never forget that. Like, he's, he's always been my guy after that. And just I, – I love those kind of things, man. Like, those players, they have such an impact on kids and getting them into baseball. And it's moments like that, like, you'll create fans forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old were you? I was – I think I was only 10. So, I mean, I was I was young. But you know the fact that he took his time out of his day just to talk to some random ten-year-old kid, I mean that was that was special for me. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All right, and then up. number one, five, definitely my favorite player in the game today, Trevor Bauer, man, everything he does is just it's it's it revitalized my love for baseball. Like he got me, he got me into the drive line routine I'm doing today. You know, I love. You know, even going back to his UCLA days, like he was—he was an engineering major, and he's just got that mindset of, he's just trying to figure out every little thing to make him a better pitcher. And the way he pitches, like he made it—he made me understand that, like, it's okay that you don't throw 100 miles an hour. It's okay that you just not throwing fastball after fastball. Like, throw your best pitch. I'm a—I'm a big off-speed guy. I'll throw you a, a lot of sliders and changeups. But I mean, he just—he got me into the thinking of, you know do do what's going to make you successful. And as far as what he's doing off the field, I mean, I think he's killing killing the marketing game. I wish I wish we had many more players in the league today like him that would just get his name out there and get people thinking about baseball. I think he does awesome things for the game.
0: Yeah, no, I I I my love for Trevor Bauer has grown a lot uh, over the last few years. And it's funny just cuz he was so ostracized even though, like, he was, like, the number three overall pick or something, and, like, but, like, the Diamondbacks, they did not want him for whatever reason. They just didn't want him, and, um, so they traded him to the Indians, uh, after his first year in the show, and, um, like, they just didn't let Bauer do what Bauer wanted to do, and so I was reading this book, um, I'll recommend it to you. I can't think of the name of it right now, but, um, it ta- it starts out with Bauer and just like how much he really analyzed the game, how much he really puts into the game, how much he really loves the game. And when he's traded over the Indians, he made sure that like the the manager, Terry Francona made sure that like he went to Bauer and was like, I know you're special. I know you can do a lot. I want to know what we can do to help you succeed. And like, he just really listened to him. And that was honestly super beneficial for Bauer now in his career because he's now pitching on a potential playoff team and, and he was pitching in game seven of the world series, I think. Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah. like, he, he really has grown on me a lot. And, um, he's definitely taken the social media platform the last uh, few, few years and I'm loving what I'm seeing. Uh, <laughs> he's fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, and he, another big thing for him is
1: that I love, he, he shows that, You know, you shouldn't conform to what, you know, anybody else thinks you should be. I mean, you look at him early on, his ERAs was in the five and sixes, and he got to Cleveland, and that's why Terry's one of the best managers of all time. He just – he lets his players be them. And once he started being him, I mean, you look at that season he had last year, I mean, he was magnificent. He makes his first all-star team at the break. He's one of the best pitchers in the league. And now, like, you know, he obviously – or, excuse me, that was two years ago. You know, last year – he, I would say it was a down year, but he's still – his ERA's in the threes. I mean, he's just – the amount of knowledge he has and the story he has just does it for
0: point. Yeah. No, yeah. He's really grown on me the last couple of years. Um, and I wish there were more guys like him in terms of, like, what he's doing for the game. <laughs> but, uh, all right, let's bring it home. So – I found a fun story. I'm going to share it. So this is hopefully the four listeners' favorite part of the show. (laughs) Um, Yes, this story uh, revolves around uh, Dick Stewart. He, uh, He played for the Pirates way back in like the 50s. So fun story about him before we actually get into it. He arrived with great expectations in 1956 because he hit 66 home runs in the minors in one year. And um, so he really turned a lot of heads and he debuted in 1958 due to his offensive prowess, but there's one major problem in his game. He could not field seriously. In his debut, he hit a home run, but also made an error. He went on to lead the league in errors for eight consecutive years. <laughs> so through this he earned two nicknames, the most famous being Dr. Strange Glove, which I love. (laughs) And then the other one was The Ancient Mariner, and it came from uh, the poem called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. So what's the connection there? So, well, like Dr. Strange Glove, this nickname pertains to Stuart's fielding lapses, per se. And it derives from the opening line of the poem, It is an ancient mariner, and he stoppeth one of three. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect, man. That's perfect. Yeah, there had to have been, like some English major on the team or whatever. It's just like, oh yeah, there's there's really
1: definitely that one that one team guy who just is so much more intelligent
0: than the rest of them. He's like, oh yeah, we're getting them with this. Yeah. So um, this brings us to the actual story that I wanted to share, um, but I think the uh, the prologue or prelogue, whatever it's called. I'm not an English major. Um, the thing before the actual story um, so pittsburgh infielder gene freese recalled a day when dick stewart nicknamed doctor strange glove had a particularly trying day stewart had missed the first three grounders that came his way but he perfectly spear the fourth however in his haste to wave off the pitcher as he was the first baseman he slung the ball down the right field line <laughs> some guys just can't they're just, they're just
1: not – it's not it for them, man. That's just not their day. Finally, yeah. finally get the one corralled, and then we're just going to throw out one in the stands.
0: That's yeah. brutal, man. <laughs> Free said, we'd have had the guy at third, but I was laughing too hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect, man. That's perfect. And then, uh, so the next day, Pirates manager Danny Murtaugh – couldn't resist a a jab at Dick Stewart after the public address announcer warned fans like, you know, anyone that interferes with the ball in play will be ejected from the ballpark. Murtaugh looked at one of his coaches and said, I hope Stewart doesn't think that means him. (laughs) um, That's
1: perfect, man.
0: I I saw that and I just had to share it. Um,
1: I hope you enjoyed it. So that's – so with that one thing, I'll leave you with this. Yes. You being a Nats fan, being an L guy, thoughts on the universal DH? I'm for it. Definitely for it, because you, you got that and nobody, you know, as much as I love watching Bartolo hit that home run about five times every day, you know, yeah. no, one, no, one's, no one's really looking to see all the Ks with that. It's going to get a lot more guys' jobs and then then you don't have to get stories about the ancient mariner where their teammates are dying in the middle of the game because Thor did <laughs> Yeah,
0: no, he he was literally referred to as like the DH before the DH was a thing. Like, <laughs> like he was so awesome at hitting. Like one year he hit like 42 homers, but like you just can't put him in the games. Can't put him <laughs> in the field, man. <laughs> but um, yeah, he literally led the league in eight consecutive years in errors. It was like, oh my gosh,
1: that's brutal. Eight. Hey, Eight years of just, that's, that's rough, man. That's rough. It takes, it takes a lot to lead leak in errors for eight years. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, that's it for
0: me. Any last thoughts?
1: Uh, no, man. Really appreciate you having me on the pod.
0: Uh, it was definitely a lot of fun to talk and, uh, hopefully I can get back on you. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah, definitely for sure. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, it was really fun hearing like your insights and, um, along with uh, your memories around the game. So I really appreciate it.